Welcome to Prima's 2022 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, John Roy will discuss safeguarding our children, parks and recreational area risk control practices. John is the Senior Risk Control Field Representative at Tokyo Marine HCC. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, John. Oh, glad to be here. So for starters, in regard to parks and recreation departments, are you seeing any liability trends that differ from years past? I think there are a couple of things that are a reflection of of the way that culture is moving these days. The first one is probably bike paths and walking trails. Seems to be a lot more emphasis on open spaces and getting people out A little bit of social distancing, they can get out and walk and not be congregated together. So we're seeing a lot more bike paths and trail parks out there, which have their own sort of liability issues as far as maintenance goes. And probably the other bigger one would be uh, moving from pools to splash pads. Pools take a lot of uh, maintenance, time, money, and energy, and splash pads still give you that water feature, but with not quite the high maintenance required as pools. So I think those are probably the two areas we're seeing more of as we go in and meet with clients. Are there specific issues or areas that Parks Department should look for with the addition of splash pads or pools? I think that slip, trip, and falls are always the main issues when you have a, a, a water feature. One of the interesting things that we found in the last couple of years are the plates on splash pads where you can access, where you put the chemicals in, Sometimes these aren't covered with a reflective plate, and they get really hot in the summer. Put a little water on there, uh, and they get really hot, and so kids in in bare feet go walking on these metal pads. Uh, Of course, if there's something different, kids will find it and walk on it. And we found some pretty significant burns on some feet. So you want to make sure that there's a reflective material uh, on these metal grates that cover access points. And the other sort of issue is don't take the punch list lightly. You'll be real excited. You'll want to get the water feature up and and running, but make sure that that punch list that you're going through with the contractor, you pay a lot of attention to. Some of the problems that we've had could have been solved with if we just simply spent our time making sure that all the bolts were bolted down, all the safety equipment was in place while you're walking through sort of that final acceptance with the contractor and making sure that they've done everything that they can do to give you that feature the best possible condition. What are the most common recommendations you are making after visiting with clients? Probably the two main ones are certificates of insurance and waivers for organizations using the parks. A lot of parks are utilized by sports leagues, such as soccer leagues, baseball leagues, youth softball. Make sure that you have some type of written agreement with these leagues, making sure that they have proper certificates of insurance and are signing a waiver as to any hazards created by the park itself. And likewise, I'm sure that organizations are having their participants sign waivers releasing you know, the organization, be it Babe Ruth or whatever softball league, make sure you're added to that waiver as too, so that the parent or guardian not only is 
you know, signing a waiver for the league, but also for the parks department and the municipality. The second big one is failure to document work done on the parks, the inspections and things that go on with the parks. A lot of times, you know, directors will go out and look at the park, things will get done. You go out and, you know, mow the lawn, you're kind of looking at, at items and fixing them as they come out. But there's very little documentation that any of this is being done. So if you're ever, you know, called on the mat or, or something bad does happen, you don't have any paperwork to show what work was actually done. So then it becomes a he said, she said situation. So it's always helpful to have documentation on what you're doing maintenance-wise with the parks. Why is it important to document your park inspections? And what type of hazard should the person inspecting be looking for while inspecting? Well, as I alluded to earlier, you want to not get yourself into a situation where it's just your word against uh, someone else. The documentation will show uh, what was actually taking place. And it also shows the public that you are professional in your job duties, that you understand the hazards that, that could happen in a park, and you're being proactive and inspecting all of these areas. As far as what to look for with the documentation, you know, all the playground equipment, the uh, fall attenuation is important. Vandalism, unfortunately, is a major problem in some of the parks. And trees and, you know, general grounds, you know, slip, trip, and falls. Here in the Midwest, we had the emerald ash borer go through and did a lot of damage to trees, a lot of dying trees. And that can become a hazard to people, you know, inside the park during high winds, branches falling down, trees coming down. We want to make sure that those things are taken care of. Can you give an example or an outline of what the inspection process should look like? Well, it doesn't really have to be anything particularly formal. A simple Excel spreadsheet could be fine. I like to tell clients that if you're out there mowing anyway and you're looking around as you're mowing, just have a spreadsheet or a checklist to go through some of the important things to show that you are, in fact, paying attention to what's going on in the parks. Some of the things you want to look for, you know, are there holes, trenches in the playground area, the fall attenuation, is, is that nice and even? Are there any concrete footings that are missing or need to be replaced? Are all the bolts fastened uh, in the equipment? Are the, you know, S-hooks in place, the swings, the seats themselves? You'd be surprised at some of the things that we have found that had a case several years ago where somebody had taken a hacksaw to the seat, sort of one of those rubber bendy swing seats, and had hacksaws all the way through, except it was just barely hanging on. And unfortunately, this woman sat down uh, on the seat. Uh, it broke. Uh, she landed on her ankle wrong and had a tib-fib fracture. So you want to make sure that you're paying attention to these types of things that could cause issues. Unfortunately, people do bad things. We've seen broken glass at the bottom of slides in the fall attenuation areas. We want to make sure that all those things are, are reviewed and inspected and checked off on some type of list. Campfires are another sort of issue. Are there rocks? Are there bricks that are loose or missing? Like I said, kids will find it. <laughs> if there's an issue uh, or something going on, the kids will find it and pick up the rock or pick up the brick, and then you have some issues. So doing your normal routine, whether it be lawn mowing or your seasonal inspections, just take along a piece of paper or a form and check and write down 
what it is that you see. If you see a problem, document it, and then have a space as to what took place. It would also be beneficial if you want to, is to have a certified park inspection, you know, maybe once a year. They're not all that expensive, depending on the size of the park. It can be anywhere between, say, three or $500 to get a certified park inspector out, sort of look at your park, and then you can take care of any issues that they found. And it's actually not all that expensive to get someone to become a certified parks inspector. The last time I looked, the test itself was around $200. The materials and the coursework for it was around $400. So for not much more than a single inspection, you can get one of your own people certified by the national, uh, not the national parks, but the, uh, you know, different recreational parks association. You can get them certified. It makes your department look that much more professional if you have somebody on staff who is certified and then can do routine inspections on the equipment. What are some of the issues surrounding summer programs sponsored by the Parks Department? The waivers, of course, as we discussed earlier, would be one issue. The other issue is hiring of your volunteers. Fortunately, over the last couple of years, a lot of the teenagers that you would expect to get the jobs have found other things to do or don't have the experience that you would like because not a lot of hiring was going on teenagers during the pandemic. So you want to you know, pay attention to who you're going to hire and, and be you know, running the, these programs. You, know, you want to do a background check, uh, do a criminal check for issues for people coming in. I was talking with a police officer the other day and really the sort of the snatch and grab child abductions sort of fading away these days, which is a good thing, but that's basically because the predators are using the internet these days to troll and to find kids that way. That's not to say you don't want to be alert to these things, but it's not as big in the past. Always when you're advertising for a job, say that you're going to do a background check, that sometimes you know, just simply discourages people who you don't want working for you from even applying. If you're looking at primarily teenagers, be sure to get a, a transcript, ask for a transcript. I mean, not only does that show grades, but you can also look at the number of absences. If a person's been absent quite a few times during the semester, that's probably a good indication that they're going to be absent quite a bit when they're supposed to be working. You want to make sure that you have the proper waivers in place for the volunteers and the participants. If they are going to be driving, you'll want to run a, a background driving record. Some localities, you can do this for free. Depending on your state, you might be able to get a free driving record, or you can request a driving record from the individuals coming in. Definitely make a phone call to get some references if you're dealing with people who haven't had a job before, which is normally what happens when you're hiring the teenagers. Another good example would be to take advantage of your school resource officers. Use the resource and resource officers. These people are very interested in giving courses to what to look for, how to deal with certain situations, whether that be weather, whether that be dogs, whether that be someone who's around who shouldn't be there in the first place. And you want to make sure that everybody's trained and plans for any emergencies, whether it's weather, whether something happens, where is it you're going to go, what is your plan, have a plan as to what's going to happen 
during inclement weather and make sure everybody understands their roles when these things come to handle. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.